Well, turning your Bibles to Genesis 37, we're continuing our study. We're seeing the lives of four men who were the fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And here's what we've seen. We've seen Abraham was the man of faith. We've seen Isaac was the quiet man. I call Jacob here the wild man because he's, he's different. You know, one minute he's this one. And then Joseph, we call him the faithful and forgiving man. And that's where you can write that in and as you see it. And so when we think about this, uh, he's the favorite son of Jacob. He's, uh, we see his faithfulness. We see his forgiveness. And I mean, I, it's just kind of amazing when you think about what he did. Because all through his life, uh, he was a faithful person. God blessed him, but he's always faithful, and he forgave, and especially his brothers, what they did to him. And, you, you know, think of, we're, we're going to look at his life, but his brother sold him to slavery. That was bad, and then his father forgot, you know, threw him into prison. And I mean, just everything, and you know, and you could think about all the people he could have been mad at and not forgiven because it's really easy for us to get mad, for us to be hurt, for us to be bothered. We're in a culture that is, uh, is uh, victims, Everybody thinks they're a victim. Anybody, sometimes somebody says something they don't like, you've offended me. Okay, I'm so sorry, but get over it, right? I mean, let's face it, we, we live in this culture that, that says, uh, you can't offend me. Well, sure, I can offend you. I, if you believe one thing and I believe another, you may be offended by that, but that doesn't change what I believe, and that doesn't change what you believe. So, so we live in a culture that people are always mad at other body, somebody else and all those kind of things. Joseph is so unique. Uh, in fact, in all the events of his life, he serves God. He's blessed by God. I, I call it this. Joseph is the man that went from the pit to the palace. And you, might, you can put that down if you want to, from the pit to the palace. And we're going to see his relationship with his brothers. This is a, it's a pretty tough passage because uh, every, everything Joseph does... We could say it one way is right, and almost every bit it turns out wrong for him. And so some people could say things like, "Well, what good is it of doing right if it turns out wrong?" Well, it's always it's always right to do right, and we'll see it. Let me give you the big three sections as we go through this this couple of chapters tonight. We're going to be in chapter thirty-seven, and then we're going to be in chapter thirty-nine. We're not going to deal with chapter thirty-eight. You can read that uh, some other time, probably. He's going to be hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. And then we see Potiphar's wife in prison. So in, in a sense, it's a lot of mess in this, in this chapter or in this, this lesson tonight as we look at it. Now, let me, as, you're, as, as we start into this, let me make sure everybody's got that written down. Hated by his brother, sold into slavery, and Potiphar's wife in the prison. How do we respond when things go wrong, especially if it's not our fault? We've done everything we can do, but something goes wrong. How do we respond? Sometimes we're mad. Why did this happen to me? Sometimes we complain and we say, I've done all I can do, and I don't know why this turns out this way. Or sometimes we trust God and we say, God, we don't understand. We know you work all things according to the counsel of your will, and you are in control even though it doesn't look like it, and we have to trust you. As we look at Joseph's life, that's what we see. It seems like his life is filled with everything that turns out the wrong way, even though he's done the right thing. And he continues to trust God. And so we're going to see him in the pit, slavery in prison. And we're going to see him in the palace, second only to Pharaoh. What a life. When we meet him, he is 17 years old. And I think he's around 30 years old when he becomes the second ruler in 
in all of Egypt. So it's it's really a, an amazing story of a young guy. I mean, we're not talking about an old guy. We're talking about a young guy. And so we're going to see it. So let's start this. Let's start with hated by his brothers, okay? And we're going to be in Genesis 37. You can write that in if you want to. Hated by his brothers. And we're going to see what happened. You'd think somebody so faithful and so forgiving would not be hated by his brothers, but he is. So let's look at chapter 37. Look at verse 1. It says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generation of Jacob. Well, you think the records of the generation of Jacob, they'd list all the sons, right? He goes directly to who? To Joseph, because this is now who he's going to be talking about. He's going to be highlighting Joseph the rest of the book. And watch what he says. Joseph was 17 years old of age, 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock of his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wife. And Joseph, now watch, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father. Now, we'd say, you're a tattletale. I mean, you know, Joseph's supposed to do everything right, but he's a tattletale. That's what it seems like. But what we find out is that he's, uh, he's 17 years old. He's been taking care of the animals. There's 11 other brothers. And notice he brings back a bad report. Well, what, is it, what, what did they do? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. They must have done something wrong. And it wasn't just something a little wrong, or obviously he would not have said anything. So he goes back to his daddy and basically tells that his brothers are not doing something right. And, of course, what, what do you think the brothers thought about that? I mean, do you like it? When you were growing up, did you want your brother or sister telling on you? No. I mean, now these are older people now. These, I mean, you know, these aren't... These aren't 12-year-old people. I mean, he's 17, and that means others are older than he is, you know. And so, but, but they, they're mad because he said something bad. It must have been something evil that they'd done. It made the brothers mad, and they don't like him. And, and, and look what happens as we, as we continue on. Look at verse 3. It says, <clears throat> let me, again, his, he brought back a bad report about his, uh, to his father. Now, Israel, who's Israel? That's Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Do you see any kind of problem here? Once again, we've seen it all the way through with every time you get one of these families together, somebody's favored over somebody else, makes everybody else mad. There's always problems. We've taught over and over that you cannot show favoritism. You're not supposed to. You know, even if you... Even if one of your children is more pleasing to you than the other one, you can't show favoritism, but he does because this is the son from Rachel, right? This is his favored son, and so what does he do? He gave him a coat, very colored. We call it a coat of many colors. By the way, Joseph, uh, Jacob favored Joseph, his son, and he gave him this tunic. By the way, now the, the Hebrew is strange because what have you all always heard? Joseph had a what? Coat of many colors. This, this, the word there very doesn't necessarily mean many colors. It actually has a meaning, and I look some things up. It has a meaning of rare or strange. It means it was a unique coat. It was something that nobody else had. Now it might have been many colors, or it might have been had sleeves in a different way, or who knows what it was. But whatever it was, it set him apart. And it was like you came into the family and you say, I, I bought everybody a, some things of crackers, but I bought you a stereo system. You know, I mean, it's like, what a, you got him something really big. You got us nothing. And, and so they, he's, got, he's got this coat, and, and we don't know much about it. The, the word has an idea of long sleeve. It has an idea of ornate. In other words, it set him apart. And look what, uh, so Jacob favored 
uh, Joseph. And what did he give him? He gave him this coat. And look, look a little further down. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, so they hated him and wouldn't speak to him on friendly terms. They, they wouldn't talk to him. They hated him, and, and they, wouldn't speak to him as, they wouldn't speak to him on friendly terms. I'm sure they talked to him, but there was no friendliness there. And so there's, a, there's always a problem in a family when you've got this. Now, if this wasn't bad enough, so here you, here, here you are, you're one of the brothers, and you go, uh, uh, Daddy favors him, and he gave him everything. He always gives him everything. He gets everything he wants. He's the favored one. We, it does, he couldn't care less whether we're alive or not. He only cares about him. And so that doesn't make very good. And then something happened. Look at verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Wait, so what's so bad about the dream? Well, here's the dream. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had. You know what I'd say to him? I don't, I'm not interested in any of your dreams. But he, was, he says, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep stood up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaves. Now, what's he saying? I'm, I'm the number one. Y'all going to all bow down to me. You're going to all bow down to me. Then listen, you're... He's the basically close to the youngest one, right? All the rest of them are older. What do you think they thought about that? We're not going to bow down to you. Who do you think we are? Look what it says. His brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they had even more because of his dreams and his words. Now this is symbolic. God gives a dream to Joseph, and symbolic Joseph will be the ruler of his brothers. By the way, are they going to bow down to him? Do you know how many times they bow down to him? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever counted them? I counted them because I'm doing the study. They bowed down to him six different times. And some of the times they bow down to him, they don't know it's him. And then some of the times they bow down to him, they know it's him. So does this dream, what did this dream mean? What did this dream mean? You tell me. It's prophetic about what? He's going to be in some kind of position of rulership or something, and they are going to what? They're going to bow down to him. Now, do you think they want to bow down to him? No, no. no. Let me ask you a question. Did they understand that the dream meant Joseph would rule? No. You, You don't think they did? Why did they say to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you actually going to rule over us? So they hated him even more. I think they thought, yeah, I think they thought that, uh, how did his brothers react to the dream? They hated him even more. Why? Because first of all, he told on them. Second, he's the favorite son. And third, he's had this dream that everybody's going to bow down to him. And so they hated him even more. Now, look down at the whole rest of, uh, we're not going to be able to go every verse because there's a lot. Look down at verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, I didn't read you this, but he also had another dream which basically said his mother and father were going to bow down to him. And so uh, even his father said, you think I'll bow down to you? And then that's why I went ahead and said that maybe Jacob thought, hmm, wonder what all this means. Something, Something's here because this is something wild. Now, what, let, me, let me raise this question just for you to think. Why did God pick Joseph to have the dreams and to be in the responsibility and not one of the other brothers? Let me ask you this question. Why did God pick Abraham? Because he did. Huh? Because he did. Faith. Why? Faith. Faith? Abraham's faith? Why did the, does the Bible tell you why God picked Abraham? 
Wasn't it grace? Why did God choose Isaac over Ishmael? Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? In fact, if you remember in the book of Romans, it says God chose Jacob before they were ever born. Neither one had been done right or wrong. It's called what? Grace. Why does Joseph get to be the one? Listen, why, why did God decide that he would save mankind? Because we're so good, right? Not grace. grace. Listen, every aspect of everything that God does is grace. God's choice of Jacob is, is an act of grace. And I want you to think about this. I've got down there grace, mercy, and justice. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. How many of us deserve eternal life? None, okay? And mercy is not getting what we do deserve. What do we deserve? Death. Death. And then justice is getting what we do deserve. How many want the justice of God? How many want the grace of God? How many want the mercy of God? Exactly. Listen, in God's grace, He gives us eternal life salvation. Just think about that. In God's grace, He gives us eternal life salvation. In mercy... He doesn't give us death. And look at this one. His justice, God demands that we die. But God in His grace and salvation and His mercy doesn't give us death. He poured out His justice on Jesus. Listen, anytime a person says, I want justice. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not from God. Does God give us grace? Does God give us mercy? Does God give out justice? Yes, He did. Where did He do it? Put it on his son. Listen, the wages of sin is, and God says the soul that sins shall. And so God could say, I am pouring out my justice on you because you've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what he did is poured out his justice on his son, Jesus Christ. That's why he's both the just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. So we just be thankful that God go, deals with us in grace and mercy, and he dealt with his son justly. Because he took what we owe, put it on Jesus, and then paid the penalty. So that's a, that's a powerful, powerful truth. So let's see what happens. So we've got the, we've got, uh, the brothers are mad. Joseph's got a special coat, whatever it is. We, let's say it's multicolored. We can say whatever you want to say because you've heard that all your life. Let's say it is. He, he's got this slick-looking outfit, and he's the favored one, and he's been telling everybody, look, but I had these dreams. Y'all go all bow down to me. And they, oh, they're older, and they say, you don't think we're going to bow down to you? We're not bowing down to you. I guarantee you we're not bowing down to you, and I guarantee you they will because that's the prophecy. And so what's going to happen? Now look a little further. Look at verse 12. Then his brothers went to pastor their father's flock in Shechem. Okay, so here's the, here's the map, and I hope you can see it. But they've been at Hebron, and they've been in Bethel, and now they've gone up to Shechem, and that's where they are. Now what's going to happen is they're going to be there, and, Abra- uh, and uh, <clears throat> Jacob is going to send Joseph to go get them, and when he gets up there, they've already moved up to Dothan. So we'll see that in just a minute. So that's the map that gives you an idea. And look at uh, verse 13. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will give you, send them to you. And I want you to go. So he goes and see about their welfare, see how they're doing, and send word back. And so he goes to Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and he couldn't find them. And a man found him wandering around. He said, what are you, Who are you looking for? 
And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are? And the man said, I, I, they moved from here, and I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him at Dothan. So you can imagine that Joseph, oh, I hit the wrong button, that Joseph left, went to Shechem, couldn't find him. Some man says, who, who are you looking for? You just wandering around in the fields. He said, yeah, I'm looking for my brothers. Uh, who are they? Oh, and he starts telling them. Oh, wait, I, know, I heard him say something about going to Dothan. And so he said, oh, that's not very far from here. So he went to Dothan. Now, everything looks good until we see verse 18 and uh, uh, what's going on there. And so the brothers went to Shechem and then on to Dothan. 37, 18, they saw him coming. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Okay, so let's do it this way. Here's a plan. Here's the plan. We see him coming. What are we going to do? We're going to kill him. Why? Because we don't like him. Because he what? He thinks he's so smart. He told on us. He's got the good coat. Dad loves him the most. And he's had a dream that we're all supposed to bow down to him. And I'm going to tell you what. We're not bowing down to him. So what we're going to do is when he gets here, we're going to kill him. You know, if you knew that, you wouldn't go if you were Joseph, right? And so they plotted to kill him, and that's the, the plan to put him to death. And so look a little further. Said, they said one to another, here comes that dreamer. And, when they, and then, come and let's kill him and throw him in one of these pits, and we'll just say a wild beast killed him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. See, because if you kill him, guess what? He not, we're not going to ever bow down to him if we kill him. And so that's the plan. And that's the plan. Now, uh, who's the oldest one? Reuben. So let's think about it. The oldest one is Reuben. I don't know. He's the oldest son. Now, he catches on to this drift that the other brothers want to kill him. And so as we got at the bottom, what was the plan when the brothers saw Joseph come? That's to kill him. And then why did they hate him? And we'll see it in just a second. But uh, the, the plot's to kill him. The older brother speaks up. Look at verse 21. Reuben heard this and rescued him out of the hand. said, well, no, 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 no. Let's don't kill him. Reuben further said to them, let's don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit that is in the wilderness but don't lay hands on him. Now, what he figured is, I'll just tell him, let's just, let's don't kill him and throw him in the pit. Let's just throw him in the pit. That way, we don't really kill him. When we leave, he'll just be in the bottom of the pit, and he'll eventually starve to death, and then we didn't kill him. But there's something there. Look at the next part of the verse. That he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. See, the oldest son speaks up, and his plan is to rescue him. So think about this. Reuben, deep down, says, I don't want to kill him. And so he tells them, let's just throw him in the pit. Let's throw him in the pit. He'll basically starve to death. And then his plan is, they'll throw him in the pit. I'll get him out of the pit, take him back to dad. And then who will like me a lot? Who will like me a lot? They will. Because, see, I will take him back to his father, see? And I can say, I rescued him. That makes me number two now. Because you're never going to not have him the best. But I'll be number two. That's kind of the plan. And so we got, why did the brothers hate him so much? Well, Joseph told on his brothers. He was favored by the dad. He was given the special code. He had the dreams. I wrote that up while ago. I just wanted to just see this. So why, why do they hate him so much? So do you see the plan? What's the plan? 
They wanted to kill him. What did, what did Reuben say? Don't kill him. We'll just throw him in the pit. And then what will happen to him? Well, that's his plan. He, he told them, what, we throw him in the pit. What happens to him? He, he, did, he dies. And so we don't have to kill him. He'll just die. But he says, but I'll come back and get him. I'll come back and get him. So, verse 22. Reuben said to them, don't shed the blood. We'll just throw him in the pit. Then I'll come back. And, 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 and so throw Joseph in the pit. That's the plan. And let's just throw him in the pit. You ever thought about how people respond to you when you say that the Bible is God's perfect word and there's only one way of salvation? What happens sometimes? Huh? They get angry. They, get, they hate you. They hate you. We, we live in a country now that people are actually hating anybody for anything they believe. You used to could say, I believe this, and you say, I believe this, and say, well, you know, we don't, we just disagree. Nowadays, they'll try to kill you, you know, because you, they think, you know, you can't wear a certain hat, and you can't say, believe a certain thing, and if you say you believe the Bible, then you're a bigot, and you're hateful, and you're an evil person, and, and it's, just, it's just so bad. And I think of Joseph, all he's really done is what? He just said, I had a dream, and, you know, you know and, you know, Daddy gave me a good coat, and, you know, I told on y'all. But, you know, I mean, the bottom line, Joseph is still a good guy, the best we can tell, but they don't like him. So what's going to happen? And uh, so let's see what happens. Um, so it came about that, that Joseph reached his brothers. They stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very, colored tu the very colored tunic that was on him. So that word, very colored, it could mean a lot of different things. They took him and threw him in the pit. Now, the pit was empty without any water. So they threw him down in there. He's not going to be able to get out. You know, because it's a pit that normally holds water. And so, then they sat down to eat. So, everything looks good so far. Everything looks good so far. And then they see something. And they sit down to eat. And guess what? Guess who's not there? Reuben. Reuben's not there. They sat down to eat a meal, and they raised their eyes, and they looked. And behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh and on the way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah, uh-oh, who's Judah? He's the fourth oldest, right? Judah says, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? He says, we don't have to kill him. Let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So what's the plan there? They're going to sell him. And the Ishmaelites are coming. We're going to find that Reuben's plan is to come back and rescue him so Dad would reward him. But the Ishmaelites are descendants of Ishmael. Sometimes they're called Midianites. They got different names, but they're on their way to Egypt. That's the plan. So they're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get him, and we're gonna sell him there. So let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. So when the Midianite trailers passed by, so they pulled up, they lifted Joseph up out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph to Egypt. They sold him for twenty. Pieces of silver. That's the price of a, that's, that's a normal slave price. They sold him as a slave. They took their own brother and sold him as a slave, or it's also the price of a young boy. Now, Joseph, it says right here, thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Does that mean anything? Does Egypt mean anything? What does it mean? What did Abraham, you remember when Abraham cut the covenant in Genesis 15? He said that one day 
your people will be slaves in a land that is not their own, and they'll be there, and then they'll come out. Now, I don't think he knew exactly where it was, but this is the prophecy that they're fixing to go down to Egypt. And, uh, and what, what we're going to find out, in fact, I've got for you right here the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, 12 through 16, where they'd be strangers in a land, and, and, and then they would come out wealthy. That's exactly what happened. They went down to Egypt and were there. And by the way, we're going to see it in a minute. They go down there with about 70 people, and they come out with 2 million. And they go down there as a family, and they come out as a nation. And it's just amazing what God does. And so they've sold Joseph. Now, guess who comes back? Reuben. What was Reuben's plan? Well, they're not looking. He's going to go over there and pull him out. And he goes down there and he goes, wait a minute. Hello? Where is he? Where is he? Oh, we sold him. We sold him off into slavery. We sold him to the Ishmaelites. They were, there was a caravan coming by on the way to Egypt. And we, we decided to sell him. Reuben returned, verse 29, to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. You know, why is he so upset? Huh? Okay, he did, because what, what is he? He's the oldest son, and the oldest son is responsible for those boys as a whole. Oldest son is responsible. He's supposed to get the what? Birthright and the double portion. Supposed to. We neglected to read... A couple of chapters, you'll read them yourself and you'll find out why Reuben doesn't get the blessing or the double portion. So he comes back and he's all upset. And he says, the boy's not here. Where, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's tunic and they slaughtered a male goat and they dipped the tunic in blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, now here's, here's what I want you to see. They had to go to what I call the oldest responsible for all these events. And so they go to what I call plan C. First plan was to kill him. Second plan was to throw him in the pit. The third plan sold him off. And this is, the, this, this is kind of part, part of the plan is now that he's dead, or now that he's gone, what are we going to tell our daddy? Are we going to tell our daddy that we sold him into slavery? We can't do that. This is his favorite son. And so they took the coat and they killed an animal, and they put blood all over it. And what do you think Jacob's going to think when they come back? Some animal jumped on him and killed him and chewed him all up, and blood is everywhere, and so I've lost my favorite one. And, and look, look at this. Look how they say this, y'all. This, look at verse 32. And they sent the, the very colored tunic and brought it to their father, and they said, We found this. Now, they're lying. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Not our brother's. Your son. They don't, cons- they, don't, they don't like him. They don't consider him. And they said, consider to see, is it your son's? Look at the question. Is this your son's? Is this your son's? And so poor old Jacob, what does he say? Then he examined it and he said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Now, what did they do to Jacob? What did the sons do to Jacob, their father? They, li- they lied to him. They deceived him. They tricked him, right? They deceived. What has Jacob done all his life? Be not deceived. God is not mine. What a man sows, that he also shall what? We've got to be real careful because Jacob spent his life tricking people. 
And now he's getting tricked. And of course, it's happened to him before. Laban tricked him, and, and they, they tricked Laban back and forth. Now, now his own sons are tricking him. And look, look what he says. He says, Then all his sons and his daughter, daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol. What's Sheol? Yes, heart of the earth, place of the dead. So his father wept. Meanwhile, look at verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Now this, this Potiphar guy is, is not a, uh, he's not also ran. He's not just some guy. I mean, Pharaoh is the most powerful. In fact, Pharaoh's considered to be a what? He's a god. And Potiphar is a captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. So he is big time. He's wealthy, powerful man. He decides he needs a slave. Needs another slave. Needs somebody. And so he, they sold him. Potiphar, the, the captain, they sold him to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Wow. So this is where we are. And so we stop there for just a second and we say, wow. Poor old Joseph. I mean, you know... He started off, everything looked so good. And now let me ask you a question. So here he is, the most favored guy in the family, got good dreams, he's going to be ruled. And now where does he find himself? In a foreign land with a different language, and he's a slave. He's a servant of an Egyptian. Now he would say, that, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I always think of Moses. Moses got raised up in Pharaoh's court, was wealthy, powerful, leader, and, and then God, he knew <coughs> he was supposed to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And what happened to him? He ends up being on the backside of the desert for 40 years, taking care of somebody else's sheep. <coughs> Sometimes in our lives, God is preparing us for something else, and we don't even know it. And we think... This is not good. And you say, well, it's not that great. But have you ever thought God's going to use that somehow? And sometimes in our lives, things look bad. They turn out to be good. And what does he say later in chapter 50? What does he say to his brothers? You meant it for evil, and God meant it for good. So sometimes in our lives, things don't go right. And, 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 and instead of saying, this isn't right, that you had no right to do this. How could you do this? Why would you allow this, God? The only thing you could say is, God, I don't understand it, and this is not very good, but I'm going to have to trust you because I know that you take all things and you work it together for good, and this may be my backside of the desert. This may be my being in prison as Joseph. It may be whatever, and one of these days, there's going to be something happen, and I'll say, well, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be ready for this. Because see, Moses, when you think about Moses... Moses was trained in all the leadership of Egypt, but he wasn't ready. And so God put him on the backside of the desert to be trained on how to handle a bunch of sheep because he's going to have to lead two million Jewish sheep out of Israel, out of Egypt to take them to the promised land. He wasn't ready for that at age 40, but he was ready for that at age 80. Joseph, we'd say, Joseph, are you ready to be the second ruler in all of Egypt and, we'd pro and Joseph would probably say at age 17, I don't think so. He said, but you didn't have to put me in prison. <laughs> but this is what's going to happen. He's a slave, and we're going to see what happens. Okay, now, uh, 
the chapter that you wonder why Judah, what happened to Judah, what happened to Reuben, you, you'll, we'll see those in other times. But I don't want you to have to even look at chapter 38 because it's a really bad chapter. And uh, you can read it on your own, okay? Because it doesn't have anything to do with Joseph. So let's go to chapter 39 and we're going to see that he's going to be sold into slavery. God is with Joseph. Let me, let me just say this. Wherever you are, is God with you? He will never leave you or forsake you. So no matter what's happening in your life, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you have to say, I don't understand all this, but I'm going to trust you. So God is with Joseph. And so look what happens in Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So chapter 39, verse 1, basically gives us the, the, the flow. And then Hebrews 13 says, He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's there. He's always there. Listen, he's there with Joseph. And let me tell you what I think. It doesn't really say anything. I think Joseph knows God is with him. Joseph, I believe, is a man, very unique and special, that trusts God in the midst of all this mess. Because let me tell you something. When somebody gives you a job to do that you don't want to do, how do you do it? Some, huh? Sometimes we do it poorly. I don't want to do it. I mean, they want this whole dug. I'm going to dig it, but I don't really want to dig it, and I'm not going to dig it that good. Joseph, they said, dig a hole. He said, I'm going to make it the best hole that anybody's ever seen. They said, rule this guy, you know, handle this right here. He said, I'm going to do it the best. He was one of those guys that whatever he was doing, he did it in the right way. And so we got, I've got for you three keys that you can see in this passage. Number one is that God is with Joseph. There's no, no doubt about it. God is with Joseph in this whole time. And you know, the only, the comfort you have right now in our lives is guess what? God is with us too. Look at number two, God blessed Joseph. Now, it's pretty uh, unique what God does because there's some things that there's no other way to explain it other than the fact that it is God's blessing. And then number three, we see Joseph's faithfulness. I mean, he is faithful. Let me tell you, if everybody did their jobs like Joseph did his job, uh, we would really stick out. Let me tell you, you know, here's the key. You want to be, you want to be really successful at whatever job you do? Show up on time, do a little bit more than you're supposed to do, and be faithful. You'll stand out from everybody else. Most people are late. Most people just do barely the minimum, and sometimes not even the minimum, and they're not faithful. And so if you show up on time or early, and if you do more than you're supposed to do, and you say, is there anything else I can do? I got my stuff done. Is there any way I can help you? And if you're faithful, you will stand out. We as Christians, who are we serving? We do our jobs as unto the Lord. We don't do it for people. We, do, we ought to be the very best workers of all time in anything that we do because we're not really doing it for the person. Now, we may say, i got a great boss, and I'm going to work for that person because he told me to do this. But in reality, who are you really doing it for? You're doing it for the Lord. We ought to be the best that we could be. And look at Joseph. God is with him. God bless him. And he's really a faithful guy. So let's look first at that God is with Joseph. Look at uh, verse 39, uh, chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the master of his master, the Egyptian. Listen, he's very successful. And, 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 and God made him successful. And God blessed him. In fact, number two is that the Lord, as the Lord was with Joseph. He was successful. Then God blessed Joseph. I mean, think about it. Look at verse 3. Now, the Lord, his master, saw that, the, that his master saw that the Lord was with him. 
and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Listen, if you own the whole thing and you got this servant and everything he does turns to gold, everything he does turns out right, everything he does, you go, this guy's something. Man, I mean, God, is, God is blessing him. That's what he's saying. And even, even Potiphar recognizes that Joseph is something. He said, man, this, this is, he saw that, he saw, Potiphar saw that God was blessing Joseph. And what a blessing. And then look at the results. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. Wow. Now let me ask you something. Does Joseph want to be a slave? Of course not. He had it made. So does Joseph say being a slave has got to be the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody? I'm not supposed to be a slave. I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm, I'm really important in my family. In fact, my, my father's favorite. Here I am in Egypt. I'm working for some Egyptian ruler guy, and I don't even, you know, I don't. And so and he's telling me to do stuff. I'm not going to do it. Joseph said, I'm, I'm not only going to do it. I'm going to do it the best I can do it. And what did, what did Potiphar say? Man, I, you're, you're something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. I'm, I'm going to put you in charge of my household. I'm going to let you be my steward. I'm going to let you run my household and take care of everything because it seems to me that everything you do turns out good, right? Because God is blessing him. So Potiphar saw all of those things, and it's pretty amazing. So Joseph became the steward. We see his faithfulness. He became the steward. And that, that's number three, uh, number three Joseph's, Joseph's faithfulness. And uh, it was amazing. And, and let me just think about this for a second. And you don't have to write this down. But I want you to throw it. When you think about faithfulness and you think about doing a job, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it requires stewards to be found faithful. What do you get when you're faithful? Rewards. You do. A lot of people don't like to talk about it, but that's what rewards. And by the way, he's, he's a steward. A stewardship is the wise use of a master's possessions. Let's talk for just a minute. And let me, are you caught up? Are you all okay where you are? I think look at the top of the of page five where it says stewardship and the definition. Uh, put, put that down because stewardship is a wise use of a master's possessions. Now let me ask you something. How many of you own a house? How many of you own a car? Do you really own that car? Who does it really belong to? That's God. Yeah. Let me ask you something. I have an office here, right? Do I have a desk in my office? Is that my desk? Is that my office? It's not really, is it? I don't own that office. I don't own that desk. It's y'all's. It's the church. And they say, yeah, you, can, you can have an office in there. But that's not my office. That's not my chair. You say, y'all, you can set my chair. That's not really my chair. I'm a steward of what y'all have allowed me to have in this church. Well, think about this. Everything we have comes from who? Comes from God. And if you really get down to it, none of the things we have are ours. He's entrusted them to us. And he says, take those things and use them for his glory. So realize, I've got there for you. Realize two things. Number one, all that we have comes from God. That's, I think, it's on page five where it says, realize. Realize everything we have comes from God. Well, let me ask you something. What do you have that God didn't give you? I mean, you say, well, no, wait a minute. I have a job, and I went, and I've worked, and I got a paycheck, and I went and bought me some shoes. Who gave you the job? Who let you work? Who gave you the health? 
uh, I mean, who, when you really get down to it, you, you could walk in tomorrow and not have a job. You could wake up, you could wake up dead tomorrow and not even be alive. I mean, you, you don't say, this is my chair, my clothes, I earned it. Let me tell you, the grace of God, He allowed you to breathe. He allowed you to have a job. He, he gave you the job. He let you work. He, I mean, let's just face it. Everything we have comes from God, and we're to use it all for what? His glory. Everything we have is for His glory. And I'm going to give you four things. You see the little bases A, B, C, and D. I'm going to give you four things just to think about when you think about the idea of, of using for God's glory. Think about it. Our lives. What? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So, is our lives for His glory? Yes. What about our gifts and talents? First Peter 4.10, as each one has received to give, use it in serving God. I hope every one of you in this room knows what spiritual gifts that you have. It's funny that I remember, it's been years ago, but I, when I first started being a pastor, people never talked about spiritual gifts. They never even talked about using spiritual gifts. It was rare. In fact, the only time anybody talked about a spiritual gift was the gift of tongues, and people say they wanted to have the gift of tongues. I said, what about all the other gifts? I mean, so what are your gifts? What are your talents? And then what are your possessions? Matthew 25, 1 Timothy basically says that, that, that don't strive to be wealthy, but take what God gives you and use it for His glory. And then the last one, even our time. Ephesians 5, 16, redeem the time for the, because the days are evil. Let me live wisely. All of those things God gives to us, and we're to use it for His glory. So there's some, there's some great things there. And so if you notice, verse 5 again, So from that time he made him overseer in the house and over everything that he owned, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And he didn't even concern himself with anything except what? The food. He said, I gotta be real careful because somebody could poison me, so I have to be careful about the food that I eat. Everything else, I turn it over to Joseph. So here's this Potiphar, who is a powerful man, captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, and he's got Joseph, and Joseph is running the whole house, running everything. Now you could say, Well, Joseph, aren't you really ticked off that you're a slave? And he went, Well, to be honest with you, I don't really like it, but I'm going. I'm going to do the best I can do because I'm having to do what? I'm having to trust God. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. Is, is there anywhere in there where, why is he special? Why is he special? From the beginning of our whole study, he, he's blessed. He is. He blessed? Why did God bless Abraham or Isaac or Jacob? It's just the, just the grace of God. No, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's the idea that God blesses. Um, God uses. Why is it some people have certain gifts that, that they become famous? And other people, they're not famous. Why is it that God puts a guy in one place and he sees 100 people come to know Christ. And God puts another guy in a place and he stays there 30 years. And he sees one person come to know Christ. And they're both faithful. You don't know. The key is, it's not how long and how much, it's what? To be found faithful. Because he says, when you stand, well done, good, and faithful servant. That's the key. The key is not the amount, the time, or anything. And if you even said to Joseph, why do you think God's blessing you? He'd say, 
I'm not sure. It's got to be for a reason. I mean, and when he looks back, he says, you meant all this bad for bad, but God meant all this for good. We're going to see, why does God put Joseph there? Why does God put Joseph there? We're not going to get to it tonight. Why does God put Joseph there? To save the nation of Israel. To, save, to give us a Messiah. If Joseph isn't there and they all starve to death, there is no Messiah. So God put Joseph there, brings, brings the Jewish people to Egypt so they do not die. They flourish. They come out with Moses and, of course, continue on until you have a Messiah. So it's to save the Jews. That's what it's for. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we got just a few minutes. We got to go past this part. Gets wild. Okay, so you think, could it get? I mean, it's been, you're a slave, but you're doing good. Watch what happens. Potiphar's wife. Good night. Okay, now, let me just say this. Just because we're living for God doesn't mean we're exempt from temptation or problems. You ever heard people say, well, you know, if we really live for God, everything's going to be good. You really live for God, it may be bad. Who's your enemy when you're living for God? Satan. He's the roaring lion that wants to devour you. So, you know, so here's what happens. Look at verse, look how uh, verse 6 ends. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He must have worked out, you know, okay? So there he is. And it came about that after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, you know, she didn't come up and just say, how you doing? She said, Let's have sex. You know, I'm, I'm the wife of your master, and I like the way you look, and he's gone a lot. He's up there with Pharaoh a lot. So let's have sex. That's what she basically says. What did Potiphar's wife want? She wanted sex. I mean, just because we're living for God doesn't mean we're exempt from temptation or problems. And so what is Joseph's answer? Look what he says. He refused and said, Behold, uh, with me here my master doesn't concern himself with anything in this house. He's put me in charge, and there's nobody greater in the house than me, and, I, and he trusts me, and then I can't sin against God. So he says, My master trusts me. I have respect for him, but it's sin against God. I'm not going to go sin against God. Now let me give you something, okay? Do you have a... Uh, where, where are we? Uh, in that place between, is it right to have sex, that little place? I want, you to, I want you to think about several things, okay? Just write some of this down. That temptation is normal, right? We say, Joseph got tempted. How many of y'all are tempted today to do anything wrong? Any of you tempted to do something wrong today? Don't, you're not raising your hands. Were you, were you actually tempted? Some of you may say, no, I, I went the whole day, and best I can tell, I don't remember even being tempted to sin. Uh, you may have. You may not have. Okay, but is temptation normal? Didn't the Hebrews 10, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that all temptation is, is common to man? The second thing I want you to think about is the standards of right and wrong are the same everywhere. And what I mean by that is, could Joseph have said, I'm not, I'm not in my family, I'm not with any other Jewish people, I have freedom here maybe to do things that I wouldn't do somewhere else. So what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt, right? But is, is right and wrong, right and wrong, it doesn't matter where you are? So that's a really good point because I've, th that whole idea of what, ha stays, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is really saying you can do wrong things there. You can do things you wouldn't do somewhere else and nobody's going to know about it. Number three, uh, no, not a number three, just another thing is... You have to determine 
to do right. You have to make a decision now that you're going to do right. You can't make a decision in the heat of the action. Just remember that, especially in sexual stuff. You can't wait till the temptation comes and say, I've got to decide now what I'm going to do. No, you have to decide that long before. And then another thing is that blessing is not always imminent. He is going to do exactly the right thing, and he's not going to be blessed. But he will be, eventually. And sometimes we say, I did the right thing, but it didn't turn out the way it should have. It will eventually, but not always. Okay, so let me raise a couple of questions there. Is, is it... Is it, is it uh, I think she typed this wrong. It's not... My question was, is it, is it right to love sex? It was, is it right to have sex, to have sex, not love sex, although some people love sex. Is it right to have sex? And then the question, is it right or wrong to have sex? Is it right? Yeah. yeah. And then the question is, with whom? With whom your spouse, with you're married to. And that's why Hebrews 13, 4 says basically sex outside marriage is wrong, but it, it's, it's fine to have, I, I've got to remember to get that... Uh, <laughs> that typo changed there. <laughs> so, what does he think? <laughs> is it right to love sex? Yes, of course it is right to love sex. Anyway, so what did Joseph think about sexual sin? He said it's wrong, it's against God, it's against others, he has to control himself. He, you know, the idea, and so in 39.10, look what happens. The temptation continues day after day. Look what it says. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her, or to be with her every day. Now, you know, maybe a one-time shot, you could go, no, 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 don't bother me. But every day she's coming and saying this. And so look at, look at what it says. He did not listen to her. This is the, the three-part there. Number one, he didn't listen to her. He did not lie beside her. She was wanting him to lay down beside her, and he did not be with her. He wouldn't be alone with her. He kept getting away. Now listen, that is really, really smart. I had, a, I had a friend that came to me. This is a true story. I don't know. I, well, I had a friend that came to me, and, and he was married, and he had a job in a school. And when he was working in the job at a school, in the office of the school was a woman who was single, and she started making advances to him. And he came to me and said, I, I've got to figure out what to do. I, I don't know if I can resist all this. What did you, what did you think I told him to do? I, I told him to get another job. Get out of there. You can't put yourself in that situation. Now, Joseph doesn't have, a, he doesn't have another job to go to. Joseph is a piece of slave, and he can't leave that household. He's got to do whatever's supposed to be done. But... You know, in certain situations, you may say, well, I can't quit my job. Yes, you can. If it means your marriage, if it means your life, if it means what's right and wrong, God will get you another job. Or, you know, pray that that person will get moved out or something. Who knows what? You, you know, and so anyway, uh, I think there are four things that stand out. I'm going to have to go fast through this, okay? Number one, realize that trust will be broken when we sin and when we fail. Trust will be broken. What did, what did Joseph say about his master? He says, my master, trust me. Let me put, trust will be broken when we sin and fail. That's number one. And, and that's what he said. He said, my master, trust me. I can't do this. You ever thought about that? Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, let me just throw this out. 
I don't know where Jean is a lot of times during the day. Although I do have one of those things that I know where her phone is, but that doesn't always mean that's where Jean is because she leaves her phone a lot of places. But you know what? I never think about anything. I, I totally trust her. I do. And Joseph says, I can't do anything with his wife because that would break the trust that he, he trusts me totally with his household. The second thing is that my master trusts me. Then sin is against God. That's number two. The big number two. Sin is against God. People say nobody will know. Who knows? God knows. He knows everything. Listen, we can't, you know, the, Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord go in every place, beholding good and evil. Proverbs 15:3. That's a good one. Here's the third thing. Do not consider sin. You know what it says Joseph did? He would not listen to her. He would not lie down beside her. He would not be alone with her. Now, he couldn't take another job. He could not go. But he would never be, he just did everything he could to avoid it. But yet, what is she saying to him every day? Let's do it. Let's do it. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, Luther said, you can't stop the birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from making a nest. In other words, don't put yourself in a situation. Get out of it. Get away from it. And that's the last one, is leave the situation. What do we say you're supposed to do? Flee. Flee. You ever been in a situation where you had to get out? I have in my life. I have in my life. That I thought it, the very best thing I could do is to get out of here as quickly as I can. And so look what happened. 39, 12, again, it says, she caught, and now, oh, verse, go back to verse 11. Now, it, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were inside. What do you think they're not there? She sent everybody out. She knew Joseph was coming. And so she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. He left the garment in her hand and fled and went outside. What did he do? Fled. Oftentimes, the, only, the, key, the, the key oftentimes in temptation is to get out. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. That's what it actually says. So what do you think is going to happen? Uh, Swindoll said, don't try to peaceably coexist with temptation. You can't. It won't work. I, I read something the other day that says, old saying that many times believers flee temptation then wait around the corner for it to catch up. You know. Got to be careful. Got to get out. Got to get out as quickly as you can. Get away from it. So what does she do? What do you think she's going to do? You think she's going to go, well, that's a, no big deal. No, watch what she's going to do. So, when she saw that she, he, he had left a garment, this is verse 13, in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the household and said to them, these are the men she sent away, See, he brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard it, I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and went outside and fled. So she left his garment beside her until the master came home. What did she tell him? He tried to what? Tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. She was the one coming after him. He got out of there, and she makes up a lie. Did he do the right thing? Is he going to get in trouble for doing the right thing? Right? So watch what happens when the master comes home, Potiphar comes home. 
Then she spoke the words to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought in came in to make sport of me. And I raised my voice and I screamed and he left the garment beside me and fled outside. Here's his coat. He came in here to have sex with me and I screamed really loud and then he ran away. What do you think Potiphar thinks? Tell me what you think Potiphar thinks. Hmm? Yeah, at first, I mean, I would probably say the same thing. Now, wait a minute, this is the Joseph that everything he does turns out good, and he's been really blessing me, and he tried to rape you? Or, he deserves to what? To die? But look what it says. Now, when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. He's really mad. So what did he do? He put Joseph in jail. Notice. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Now, by the way, the king's prisoners is a special prison. It's not as bad as the, you know, the scum of the earth. These are the prisoners that the king or the pharaoh decides to put in prison. Some of those are his own workers, like we're going to see later on when the baker and the get thrown into prison with Joseph. So Joseph is now thrown into prison. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't Potiphar kill Joseph? Let me ask you a question. If you were powerful as Potiphar and a slave tried to rape your wife, what would you do to him? Probably kill him. Probably kill him just like that. That's what I thought. In that day and time. And nobody would have said a thing. Right? And nobody, well, nobody, it's his property. So why? What do you think? Well, he had seen his faithfulness. He'd still, still hope maybe... There's some blessing. I don't think he totally believed his wife. Because I think if he really believed his wife, he'd have killed Joseph. That's what I think. What do you think? No, because the punishment would have been death. Exactly. So he put him where? He put him into prison. Now, notice this. Verse 21. But the Lord was what? with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor. Look, the Lord's with Joseph. Is the Lord with Joseph when he's a slave? Is the Lord with Joseph when he's in Potiphar's household? Is the Lord with Joseph now when he's in prison? Is the Lord with Joseph everywhere he goes, whatever he does? It's just amazing. The Lord is with Joseph. And look what it goes on to say. So the chief jailer committed to Joseph, uh, oh, uh, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph extended kindness to him and gave him favor in sight of the chief jailer. Who did that? God gave him favor. The chief jailer committed Joseph's charge to all the prisoners. So all of a sudden, Joseph's doing what? He's running to jail. Everywhere he goes, he comes out and he, he suddenly went to Potiphar and ran Potiphar's household. Now he goes to prison. He's in jail. Suddenly he's running the whole jail. It's just amazing. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. Listen, it doesn't matter where Joseph is. Joseph's going to do right and God's going to bless him. It doesn't matter where he is. Now, none of this has been good. In fact, I, I think this is a horrible two chapters <laughs> for him. Nothing has gone right. Let me give you some applications. So the first one is this. Let's realize that in God's grace we are saved. That's what it is. If you think, why did God chose, why did God pick Joseph or Abraham or Isaac or any of those? Or why does it? Because it's the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we've been saved through what? 
faith in that, and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. So just remember, God deals with us with grace. And, and I always think, first of all, about our salvation. The second thing is just realize this. Realize the progression of sin. And I want to start it with it this way. Joseph's brothers, what? How did it start? They were jealous of him. Then they didn't like him. Then he got a coat. Then he made everybody bow down. He said they were going to bow down. Then they decided that they were going to kill him. I mean, it started off with we don't like him to now we're going to kill him. And you've got to be really careful because sin progresses. It doesn't stay still. It doesn't stay still. And, and it can move and it can, t- as I always say, it can take you further than you thought and it can cost you more. It, it always does that. And ultimately, they started with just being angry. They ultimately wanted him dead. The third one, the third one is, let's trust God because his plans can't fail. Romans 8, 28, God causes what? All things to work together for good. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think Joseph thought that when he was in prison? I think he did. I, I mean, probably not every day. <laughs> he may have woke up some days and said, this is the pits. And they said, yeah, yeah, it is a pit. Yeah, it is. And, but, I mean, but the, that's the bottom line. Trust God because his plans cannot fail. Here's number four, and I love this one. God is always with us. There is never a time that we'll be separated because God is there. He's working on all the events of our lives, even now. And every one of us in this room have good things happening for us and bad things happening for us. Am I right? Is there things in your life you go, I wish that wasn't happening. And then there are things in your life you go, I can't believe how good that is. God is there always. Never be separated. Number five, let's be wise stewards of all that God has given to us. Think about it. All our possessions, our time, our abilities, everything. What are your gifts and your talents? How are you serving? What are you doing? How is God using you for his glory? Just remember, everything you have, what? Is his. You're a steward. That's why he says, well done, good, and faithful, what? Servant, you're a steward. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. That's what we're supposed to do. And number six, be ready for temptation. Is it normal? In a fallen world with a flesh, is it normal to be tempted? Is temptation sin? No, it's not. Remember, we did that study in, in, in Grow Group a lot about it, and, and that temptation is not sin. We can be tempted to, to, to you know, a bad thought, but that doesn't mean sin. So what you have to do is stop it. Be ready. Get rid of it. And so God desires our purity. That's what he wants. First Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is you abstain from sexual immorality. And we're talking about sexual stuff here because this is what's in this passage. But it is really hard in our culture today. And In fact, sometimes I want to say that, that Christians as a whole have bought into the idea that sex is one part that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. If everybody lives together, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the Bible says anymore. It doesn't matter if you have sex with somebody you're not married to. It doesn't matter. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many people who are Christians who are living together and they're not married. And they, think, they don't think anything of it. I have people come into my office. We're thinking about getting married. I said, they're living together. I said, you're living together? Yeah, you think that's right or wrong? And they go, well, we don't really know. You don't really know. They don't really know. Because they've never been taught anything. And, and they live in a culture that says, so what's wrong with that? You've got to try it out, don't you? Of course not. In fact, they find out that when people try it out and, and they get married, then the chances of divorce almost triple. People live together before they're married, the, the chances of divorce triple. 
than what they would have been. People don't understand that, but it's true. The second thing is make the decision to obey God in sexual temptation. That's what Joseph did. Joseph already said, it's wrong. My master trusts me. It is wrong. It is evil. And I cannot do this. And he made that decision that he would not put himself in that situation. He did the best he could in the time that he had and the way that he had. Okay, so we're going to leave Joseph in the pit. But next week, he's going to get out of the pit. And it's going to be really good.